You are listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. Well, good morning. We're in a three-part series we've entitled The End. So I guess if I'm the second part, we'd be in the middle of the end. Next week, we're going to be in the end of the end. Get it? As we gather together this morning, you've got to admit, there's sort of a lot of talk around the second coming of Christ, isn't there? I mean, as the world gets worse and worse, as all of a sudden wrong is right and right is wrong, everybody's beginning to ask the question, how long before Jesus comes? And the question I have for you today is just simply this, what do you think? I mean, is the time of Jesus coming just a little bit nearer now than it was before? Do you sense that Jesus might come back at any moment and any time? The truth is, it's one of the reasons ever since COVID, people have been asking this question. We sort of added this tagline to the series together. Hey, look, normal is not coming back, but here's the good news. Jesus is. Now, I want to be incredibly clear. I am not going to predict any sort of a date today. But listen, hundreds of people have. Ever since the year of about 600 AD, actually 500 recorded dates have been given by people. Actually, just since 1990, about 50 recorded dates have been given by prominent people in history that would make us think, hey, listen, this is possible. Let me give you a few of them. First of all, there's a well-known man by the name of Harold Camping. He actually has a television and radio program. He predicted the coming of Christ about five times, September 6th, then September 29th, October 2, just kept moving it all of the time, until eventually comes up with this last date, May 21, 2011. When it didn't happen, he actually said on his deathbed, I recant all of those dates I've ever given him. Maybe Jesus was right. No man knows the day or the hour. There's another people by the name of Jerry Falwell, Tim LaHaye. Some of you read his books, Jerry Jenkins. They actually thought at the turn of Y2K, when it became the year 2000, they would be the rise of the Antichrist and Christ himself would come back. They've since recanted that position. Pat Robertson, who wrote a book called The New Millennial, actually said April 29 of 2007, Jesus would come back. He's actually rethought that. You recognize a man by the name of Ron Wyland. He's probably best known in today's day and age for predicting the coming of Christ. He said September 29, 2011, when it didn't happen, he moved it to May 27 of 2012. You can't fault the guy for continuing to try, can you? But I want you to see this. Many people were convinced that on December 21, 2012, when the Mayan calendar came to the end, Christ would come again. He didn't. Now, the question I have for you this morning is this. How is the world going to end? A lot of people think that the world is going to end by apocalyptic floods. Some people think the sun will actually scorch the earth. Some people think a meteor will hit the earth. Some people think eventually aliens will take over this world. I happen to belong to a small but reputable group that think the Michigan Wolverines will one day take over the world. <laughs> Although after yesterday, I'm not so sure. Listen, anytime somebody predicts a date, I think to myself, well, that's not it. I mean, since no man knows the day or the hour when somebody says, this is the date that Jesus is coming back, I say to myself, in effect, well, they don't know what they're talking about. Now, listen, I want to say this to you this morning. 
Anybody who has a date out there, I want to bet you a million dollars that's not it. I wanted to do it in the days and age of the Mayan calendar. Because here's my logic in that. If you predict a date and it doesn't happen, you owe me a million dollars. If you predict a date and it does happen, the world ends. Well, the world ends and you were right. (laughs) Today, as we walk through this together, I want to encourage you to take out your Bibles. I want to go to a portion of Scripture, the Apostle Paul, trying to bring comfort and peace to the church in Thessalonica. It comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And again, as we talk about the second coming of Christ, I want to admit to you, this is a little bit of a weird subject, isn't it? If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't come to church a lot. I mean, when you hear this subject, it feels a little bit weird, doesn't it? I'll admit that with you together. But here's what I would say to you about 20% of Scripture is actually direct or indirect prophecy, 20%. In fact, most people who came to faith in Jesus Christ often did so because they put the pieces of the puzzle together. And often the predictions with regards to the first coming of Christ were some of the things that pushed them over the line of faith. When they recognized 700 years before it was prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, and he was. When it was prophesied what his life would be like, and it was. When they prophesied how his death would be, and it was. It just added evidence to people's faith. Hear me on this. Do you know there's five times as many prophecies in Scripture with regards to the second coming of Christ as there were to the first coming of Christ? Five times as many. Now, having said that, I recognize it's a little bit of an odd subject, but I want to deal with it as best we can. And I want you to know there's going to be different Christians in different theological positions with regards to the second coming of Christ. Listen, it's not worth fighting about. Sincere believers hold different positions with regards to the second coming of Christ, and it's okay. The Apostle Paul, as he writes this portion of Scripture we're going to look at today, is dealing with some internal conflict of the church in Thessalonica. These people were saying, in effect, oh no, our loved one died and Jesus hasn't come back yet. We might be alive because they thought it was happening next Tuesday, but our loved ones that died, they're not going to be alive. What happens to them? And so the Apostle Paul actually pens these words to bring comfort. And it's one of the reasons I want to talk with you about the second coming of Jesus Christ, because if you understand it, it will bring comfort to your life. In fact, it's how Paul ends this passage. He said, listen, encourage, comfort one another with these words. So I'm going to give you three comforting thoughts this morning. The first thought is this. I want you to know Christ is coming again. If you ever doubted that for a moment, I want to, based on the truth of God's word, assure you that Jesus is coming again. John chapter 14, it was actually sitting with his disciples talking about his impending death. And do you remember he wants to comfort them because he knows the anxiety that's going on inside of them? So he says, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But here's what I'm doing. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, here's my promise. I'm going to come back to take you to be with me. Jesus wanted to comfort them with these words. Hey, listen, I'm coming back. This is Jesus' Arnold Schwarzenegger moment, so to speak. I'll be back. He wanted everybody to be assured of that as he ascended into heaven. Just as surely as you see him go, he's coming again. 
In fact, in the first century church, when there was all sorts of persecution going on, do you know how they greeted one another? We often greet another with this, hey, buddy, what's up? But that's not what they said. Do you know what they said to one another when they saw each other on the road? Maranatha. What does Maranatha mean? It means Jesus is coming soon. In other words, with all of the persecution that was going on in the church today, recognizing they passed their brother or sister in Christ and may not see him again because many of them were dying for their faith in Jesus Christ, they'd say to one another, listen, hold on, Maranatha, Jesus is coming again. In fact, Lydia talked about it last week, but do you remember one of the crowns you can receive in heaven is this crown for those who long for his appearing? Those who fix and focus their eyes on the second coming of Jesus Christ, who live for it, who store up their treasures in heaven with regards to it? Can I be honest with you, though? I think very few people in the United States of America are going to get that crown. Because you and I are so earthly-minded. You and I have it so good in this world that we often don't fix and focus our eyes on heaven. We often don't long for his appearing. But Paul goes on in this portion of Scripture to say this, verse 14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. What does it mean to fall asleep in Jesus? Is it talking about the person in the third row that went to sleep as this sermon began? No. He's actually talking in a poetical fashion. It's how Jesus would often describe death because death for the believers is not ultimate. Death for the believers is just simply sleep. He actually used this terminology 14 times in the New Testament. He used it in John chapter 11, speaking of Lazarus, saying, listen, Lazarus is not dead. He just sleeps. That you and I, who know Christ as our Savior, when we come to the end of our life, we just simply sort of rest in Jesus. Paul goes on to say this, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God. Think about what that would be like for a moment. God simply with the word of his mouth spoke all of creation into existence. Usually we see all throughout scripture that God sort of whispers to people. But when he comes the second time, the scripture says the archangel Michael is going to shout with a loud voice. There is going to be a trumpet sound that every single person can hear. And then at that moment in time, Christ appears. And the scripture says this, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's exactly what Paul was trying to say to the church in Thessalonica. I want to comfort you. Those who have died before the second coming of Christ, I want you to know early to bed is early to rise. They will be the first ones to be resurrected from the dead and in the presence of the Lord forevermore. Now to me, this signals that there must be two resurrections, don't you think? If this is the first one, the first one is for believers in Jesus Christ. The first one is for those of us who will stand at the Bema judgment seat of God, not to determine whether we spend eternity in heaven or hell, but at the Bema judgment seat of God, where God will hand out rewards for those of us who have stored up our treasures in heaven. But there is a second resurrection. The scripture calls it the resurrection of the dead. These are the people who will stand before the great white throne 
judgment, a place believers in Jesus Christ will never see. But they will stand there when they will recognize their own religious goodies, their own merits will not somehow assuage the guilt and the sin in their lives, and they will be banished from the presence of God forevermore. They will recognize at that moment in time that they never received Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives, and they will be cast eternally from the very presence of God. Now, that's the first resurrection, the one that you and I want to be a part of. The second resurrection is not the one that you and I want to be a part of. And what separates us is the finished work of Jesus Christ and our submitting, our surrendering to it. We want to be a part of the first resurrection. Revelation 20 talks about it when he says, blessed and holy are those who have the part in the first resurrection. And then what does it say about that? Listen, the second death has no power over them. Now hear me on this. You can be born once and die twice. Or you can be born twice and die once. What do you mean? Well, listen, you can be born once. You know at that moment in time that that happened. It happened in the living room. Somebody said to your mom or dad, it's a boy, it's a girl, and everybody was all excited. And then you come to the end of your life and you die But then there is a second death. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you were banished from the presence of God forevermore. You were born once and you die twice. But believers in Jesus Christ, hear me on this. You can be born twice and then only die once. How do you do that? Well, the first time somebody came into the living room, said it's a boy, it's a girl, and everybody celebrated together, you were born once. But then in John chapter 3, Nicodemus says, how am I born again? Do I have to enter into my mother's womb all over again? No, you need to be born from above or born of God. It's your second birth. And if you have been born twice, you will only die once. Because when physical life comes to an end spiritually, you and I will live in the presence of God forevermore. Often in our society, we use this acronym YOLO. You know what it means, don't you? You only live once. Usually people say it right before they do something really stupid, don't they? Well, you only live once. Believers in Jesus Christ ought to use this acronym YODO. You only die once. If you have been born again, much like John chapter 3 talks about born from above, you and I will only die once and then spend eternity in God's very So first of all, Jesus is coming again. Second point I want you to see is this, the rapture, that living Christians are taken away. Literally, the scripture goes on as Paul begins to teach after that, after those who are dead in Christ have been resurrected, I want you to know we who are alive, so if you're alive at the second coming of Jesus Christ, I want you to know you and I who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The Greek word is the word harpazo, and it literally means to snatch, to rapture, to pull away. Any of you remember when your mom would grab you by your ear and pull you away from the crowd? That's what this is. You are snatched away. It's this idea that you've been rescued, this idea that you've been pulled up, this idea that you have been taken away. Now, when you hear that, we kind of struggle with that idea. It always feels a little bit mystical. 
But the truth is, Scripture has talked about it again and again. After that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up, will be raptured, will be pulled away into the very presence of the Lord, and we will meet God in the air. Do you know in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus had already talked about this? Matthew 24 and 25 are what is known as the Olivet Discourse. For the 50 of us this past week that were in Israel, we actually stood here. It's at the base of the Mount of Olives. It's where Jesus did much of his teaching about the second coming of Christ. And here's what he says. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Sounds a little bit mystical, doesn't it? But it's true. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. I know it gives us a little bit of the heebie-jeebies. Here's how it's going to go, Jesus said. Two people are going to be sitting at a computer. One knows Christ as their Savior, and they're going to be snatched. They're going to be raptured. They're going to be taken away, and one's going to be left behind. There's going to be a family of eight people sitting at a table. Six are going to be raptured in the presence of God. Two who don't know Christ as their Savior are going to be left behind. Many of you are going to be working out in a gymnasium and all you're going to be on a treadmill together and some are going to be raptured, taken away, and some are going to be left behind. Jesus said, listen, you got to be ready because no man knows the day or the hour, but I'm telling you, there is a day coming when Jesus is going to return and I want you to know that believers in Jesus Christ are going to be raptured, they're going to be rescued, they're going to be taken away. Now, having said that, I want to give you a little bit of a warning. How many of you here, don't raise your hands, sleep without pajamas. Please do not raise your hand. If you do, because a third of our life is spent sleeping, I want you to have some pajamas close by. You have no idea when Jesus is coming back. Let me give you some scripture to support that. Revelation 16 says this, look, I come as a thief in the night. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Listen, we don't want to see that. So I really want to encourage some of you to buy pajamas because Christ is coming again. Thirdly, then, I want you to see this. Not only is Christ going to return, not only are the dead in Christ going to rise and those who are alive be snatched up, caught up together, but here's the last thing. This is the incredible reunion when Christians will be with God forever. Paul goes on to say, After that, we who are still alive and are left are caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Can you imagine that for a moment, that you and I are going to be in the presence of the Lord forevermore? The Scripture says just seeing Jesus face to face is going to radically change us. And now from this moment in time on, because we knew Christ as Savior and Lord of our life, we are going to be with the Lord forever in a place where there is no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, in a place where there is no more cancer, no more divorce, no more starving children, no more war, rumors of war. All of it is over and you and I will bask in the very presence of God where he is making everything brand new. You and I will be with God forever more. Now, having said that, I want to recognize a couple of things. First of all, I want you to know that you and I need to be ready. Isn't it true that this scripture has given to us the idea that no man knows the day or the hour, so 
here's what you got to do. You got to live with an urgency to your faith. You got to be ready. And isn't it true that most of us, with regards to our faith, especially in the United States of America, live in sort of an apathetic way? And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm reminding you, I come as a thief in the night. You have no idea the day nor the time, so here's what I want you to do. Redeem the time that you have. Use it wisely. I remember several years ago going to Haiti and walking into some homes. We would bring actually rice and beans to supply the family maybe just for a couple of months. Many of them were starving to death. There was a single mom in this little tar-papered shack. It was not much bigger than a closet that I had. She had four, maybe five children, and they all just looked pathetic, worn out, struggling, exhausted, malnourished. But I remember as we had a bit of a discussion that was through a translator, her final words to me were this, but Jesus is coming soon. Can you imagine the different perspective you would have with regards to clinging to this world if you lived in a third world country? Can you imagine for a moment how much that mother longed for the second coming of Jesus Christ when she would be snatched up into the very presence of God and she would be changed just simply seeing Jesus and she would be with him forevermore, a place of no more tears or crying or pain or hardship or starvation or difficulty or watching it through the face of her children? Can you imagine how different her perspective must have been? And I walked away from that time together thinking to myself, I really don't fathom what she fathoms. We are so concerned about this world, about how happy we are, about how comfortable we are. We have so many amenities in this life that in all honesty, heaven is an afterthought for us. But to this woman, it was her first thought every single morning, Jesus, come soon. Whatever you got to do to get that perspective, I think that's what Paul is trying to say. Listen, I want you to comfort with you, one another with these words. I don't want you to cling to the things of this world. This is not your home. The home of believers is in heaven. Your name is there. Your citizenship is there. Your Savior is there. That's where your eyes ought to focus. You ought to focus on what is to come. Paul would actually talk about it in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Can I just stop there for a moment? Wouldn't that be a great verse to have over most church nurseries? We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Some of you get that on your way home today. How will we be changed? We'll be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. You will take off this body that is diseased and tattered from the things of this world, and you will put on the imperishable, this new resurrected body in Jesus Christ. And what is mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your sting? And then Paul goes on. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through what? through your own righteousness, through your own goodies, through your church attendance, through you trying to somehow do some things that'll balance the scales in your life? No. Here's how. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through the one who vicariously took on your sin 
died on the cross of Calvary in your place, rose triumphant over sin and death, and lives forevermore through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now he says, in light of that, therefore, I told you this before, whenever you, the word therefore is there, you've got to ask yourself, what's it there for? And it's always there to connect two thoughts together. In light of the fact that death has no sting on you, in light of the fact that you are being clothed with the imperishable, the mortal is being swallowed up by the victory of Jesus Christ, therefore, here's what I want you to do. Here's the application. Stand firm. In a day and age where people are trying to pull you away from the truth of God's word and surrender and commitment to Christ, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, worship Jesus, serve Jesus, share Jesus. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, do it. Redeem the time. Live with an urgency to your faith because Jesus is coming again soon. And in all honesty, it's time to stop being apathetic in the Christian life. And it's time to step over the line and kind of get this urgency to our faith of Jesus. I only have a certain amount of time left before you're going to come again. And you want me to share Christ. You want me to worship Christ. You want me to honor him with my life. So, Lord, that's what I'm going to do day in and day out. I'm going to yield myself to that. We gathered together with a group of Israel at the last place we went. It's called the Mount Carmel. And in it, there's the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Do you remember that story where Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal and he looks over all of the people who are worshiping the things of this world and he said, listen, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then worship him. If Baal, the things of this world are God, then go ahead and serve him. But you got to make a decision. You got to get off the fence. You got to decide in your life that I'm no longer going to waver between two opinions. I'm going to make a decision who I'm serving. Light of the urgency of the moment that this world is not getting better. There is a day and time that none of us know that Jesus is coming, and I believe he's coming soon. Wouldn't it be wise to use the time that we have in an urgency for the character and the quality of Christ in this world? Isn't it true, if you think about it for a moment, normal is not coming back, but Jesus is. And I want to encourage you to live for Jesus, to die for Jesus, to sort of surrender your life to the urgency of your faith. If you were encouraged by today's talk, check out our Sunnybrook Unscripted podcast where we talk real life, answer questions, and take a deeper practical look at the topics we talk about on a Sunday morning. For other talks, videos, and live gatherings, rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Download the Sunnybrook Church app or visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.